Pasa Mufasa. Welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast. This is a podcast about people solving problems with mushrooms. I'm your host, Dennis Walker. Let's get down to business. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast. Elon Haggins, founder of Fruiting Bodies Collective and Temptress Truffles. What's up? Welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast, Elon. Nice to see you. Nice to see you as well, Dennis. I I am a huge fan of yours. Um, I first and foremost resonate with you and your humor, and so I'm super excited to like talk to you and like just laugh with you. Honestly, I think like you're somebody who I just would love to like you know sit in the corner and laugh with some. <laughs> just laugh. <laughs> You're hilarious yourself, and I found this out through all of our exchanges of prompts and different skit ideas, so we're going to have to dial in some kind of official humor and satire collaboration eventually, and I've got a lot of friends in Portland that I think we have some mutual friends up there, so let's hear about your backstory of how you got started building a lifestyle and a business around mushrooms because you've got temptress truffles you've been active in outdoor education and in selling at the portland farmers market for a number of years and i feel like you've really been this is this is a lifestyle for you it's something that's been around a long time so how'd you get connected with the wonderful world of fungi in the first place well being born and raised here in the pacific northwest i think one of the biggest things that i always tell people when you're when they're first moving here is if you want to get the maximum benefit out of the Pacific Northwest and the people and the weather, you really gotta like, you gotta get in with nature. You gotta like love the outdoors a little bit because there's so much around us here that you're always immersed within like the natural world that if you learn to like some of the things that might be considered like bad, which is a lot of rain, you know, Pacific Northwest is like, it's raining, it's raining, it's raining. Like if you learn to find the joys in throughout the rain, then you're going to have a great ass time. And being a little girl who didn't have a car, was a single parent, I came from like a household where I was in the rain, literally. So it was great that I really loved nature and like science because that helped me like enjoy something that would naturally be oh my gosh my life sucks so i'm taking the bus and my mom i'm being you know you needing things and like i was able to stink really hard on that and i went to science camp when i was a little girl i went to environmental school where we fed the homeless where we were literally like bringing taking down pee buckets from like the state capitol buildings for people who are eco-terrorists and like fighting for the environment and at the same time like learning your, you know, one, two, threes, ABCs, like learning about nature, learning about just how to function as a community was something that I was fortunate enough to have at a young age. So it was natural that I took this on throughout my love in high school for, for nature, for science. And after that, it was just like with dogs and dogs is something that for me was a driving force for everything. I knew that for me, I felt like if I was going to be a successful black woman in the, in the environment, in the natural world, I needed to have a dog next to me. And so I knew that one day when I was able to afford a place of my own where I could get a dog and pay for the dog fee and pay for vet bills, that my life was pretty much good to go. Like, <laughs> like that is like my highest of my highest, but I, that was my dream. And so I've had, I've been living in this dream for like, since I was 20 years old and I got my first dog and then found out about truffle hunting. And it's like history from there with like, 
you know, wild foraging and finding out more about my community within the wild foraging community. It's like that community there is a great community. Not saying I don't dislike the psychedelic community, but there is a difference between like the wild net mushroom community, the people who are nerding out on microscopes in the middle of the night at like a mushroom gathering, like that community, we, we know about psychedelics. It's just not everything. It's just so much more. And so I, like I said, I've been fortunate enough to find these people and these groups of people who like bring out the best parts of me with, and that comes from like learning about mushrooms from knitting, from dying with wild mushrooms. I teach wild mushroom dye as part of my career and my love for arts and me being an artist. What else do I do? Leading forays. Goodness. I've done so many forays for 12, 13 years now. And teaching dogs how to truffle hunt. I did a reality TV show on CBS that aired before Survivor and it was a big deal at the time. It was like a really big deal, like traveling and doing all that. And after doing all that, I got home and I was like, I just want to hike in the woods with my dogs. I don't want to like do like that Hollywood, like doggy life kind of branding thing. I have that opportunity and I still do use my dogs as like a marketing tool because they are part of me and my lifestyle and what I've created for myself. So yeah, mushrooms for me. And like, like you say, you, when I heard the word micropreneur, I was like, that's who I am. That's what I am. Like, and you know, I do. And then on top of it, we have Fruiting Bodies Collective, which started two years ago, which was just natural for me to like create and start because I already have a mushroom community. And this mushroom community has been here with me since I was a child. And it's so nice to be able to bring that mushroom community into like talking about like expanded consciousness. I can talk about that now without the fear of going to jail. I can talk about that now without the fear of like losing credibility for a career that I've kind of worked really hard for. And, you know, I've for 12 years of the best years of my life, my 20s and early 30s, I've not every summer I'm like at the farmer's market loading my car and like interacting with the community, not like going to festivals and camping and doing all that kind of stuff. I get to do that. But on the weekend weekdays, kind of alone. I'm an extrovert introvert. It's like fine. I'm I've lived that lifestyle. <laughs> but like those are kind of things where I was like I it was a sacrifice for my fun, but also fun and part of it and part of the community that I've built today and I and I've slowed down and I have fun now with my festivals and, and different things. But me doing that building for all those years is definitely what brought me to this space right here, like to this exact moment in like my life. <laughs> and you've got the dream going on. I met both of your dogs just a minute ago and we did a dog exchange. I pulled my dog up here and they looked at each other noncommittally. But that for me is a dream too, to have a dog. This is the first dog I've ever owned personally. I've had a few family dogs growing up, but I never had a puppy. And this is the first time I've had a puppy who's like mine. And it, he grows on you so quickly. You know, I realize now when I see people who are just so enamored with their dogs, right? That's how I feel. Like I'm like, always posting stories about him and always like, you know, I'll call someone if he does something that I think is cute and they'll be like, I don't give a shit. I'll be like, but you don't get it. You know, you don't get it. Rupert did it, you know? And I just think it's really, it's, <laughs> so I hope I can teach him to learn to hunt truffles. That'd be something that, that would be really fun for both of us. Cool. So, you, you know, you kind of detailed a little bit about the community that you have and I see you all over the place, like collaborating with farms and, you know, getting all involved in 
eco outdoor education, which is something that I wholeheartedly support. And I think more people, especially people in urban environments, should have the opportunity to go out and to explore the woods and learn about mycelial connections and all that fun stuff. So the psychedelic community in Portland is probably as robust as anywhere else on the planet, especially given the, the policy changes that are coming in 2023, which a lot of people are paying attention to. And you've been on the front line of that for the last couple of years. I was following the Fruiting Bodies podcast when you had it. And as previously mentioned, we have some mutual friends. And I've also gotten a sense that like, a lot of things have changed over the last few years. You know, people have different views about psychedelic legalization and regulation than maybe they did 18 months ago. And I'd be curious, what's your general sense of the Portland psychedelic community? Does it feel like there's a really strong, like cohesive bunch who are all pumped and collaborative and supportive? Or is there maybe some apprehension and some concern that gets overlooked about you know, this very important time with the rest of the country and the rest of the world essentially watching Oregon to see how psychedelic policy gets rolled out, especially as it relates to Oregon psilocybin services in 2023. Yeah, that's that's right there. That's a lot could go on for a, a long time, uh, for two years. That's how long it could go on. Um, the past, I think the best part is when you said, what has changed in the past 18 months, like from the beginning to the end? Like, and I would say that that's one of the biggest things when going into drug policy here and working with the initiative here within the state of Oregon is your mind's allowed to change your opinions, no matter what, what people need to learn is just because you're serving on a, a measure um, on a board or whatnot, and does, doesn't mean you necessarily support the measure 100%. It means sometimes why you're, you are there to, to be those eyes in the back, to see what kind of tomfoolery, what, what they are doing. And like to, to like learn myself because I hadn't really interacted with policy at this level for many, many years. And so to know that these are, this is, this is what I know. I know that we voted for Measure 109 to provide access and equity to psychedelic psilocybin for the community. Access is where, what, what I'm here for, what I'm all about, and what I'm fighting for, for our citizens, for our community members, and for people who will be coming to Oregon to access services. That being said, no. That did not happen within within this last two years. I was never quiet about my quiet during the meetings within the state health equity boards and within the community that I was never openly said, oh my gosh, I believe everything on this measure and I love it and it's wonderful. I'm like, what about the equity? How is this going to happen? Blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. I'm not a squeaky voice in the background and not so squeaky. I, the, sometimes the good part about being that non-conventional voice that doesn't always talk the legal la la la, yada 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 lawyers talk, and the, the fact that I come out like this at state meetings is it, it gives me the ability to connect with the community, to sometimes break the fear down between citizens and, and like dealing with state boards and dealing with people in policy. I don't think people like that too much. And that the people that probably don't like that are the people who are serving within these boards. Because if I see something or fishy or smell something fishy and it looks wrong, I'm going to just say it how it is. And I'm not, I have nothing to lose. 
And I'm not there because I'm a lawyer who is like getting paid to serve on this board that's going to have a future career that's going to be affected by my opinions. Like Timtress Truffles, Elon Hagens is going to be here whether Measure 109 is here or not and will continue to be here and it will continue to serve the community in ways that I deem that creates access. And that has not happened as we, we have seen. So with Measure 109, the biggest thing is it's going to be expensive as hell. Like I never signed on for to serve over two years for free as a black woman born and raised here in Oregon with expertise working with mushrooms, not just mushrooms, with the community and has, and has a lot of expert, like expertise, like just communicating with our community. I feel like sometimes because I do have this kind of voice is not considered an educated voice. And sometimes if you're not a doctor or if you're not a lawyer or you're not this, it's just like, Oh, that's just you, your voice sometimes gets lost and it's just, Oh, that's the black woman on there. And of course she's talking about equity. And of course she's saying the community. Oh, and of course she's talking about access and it just becomes this thing. And then it, it, causes me to be quiet over a certain over a certain amount of period of time because you see the people who are there working and fake talking about equity are the ones who are getting funding the ones who don't have don't have any any idea what it's like to be around communities of, of color or any type of culture except for wh- where they came from but yet they're saying we're here to fight for this and that and that but they can't even help the people out that they work with and can you communicate right with the people who they work with. And because of that, yeah, the people who have the money are the people in Oregon who are paying $10,000 to get their license, who are creating the training programs. And then everybody else is like on the wayside. It's all the rest of us who are like, hold on now. We didn't vote for this to go in this way. We voted for it to be decrim we wanted to be fully decrim and legalized but we didn't say hey now that it's legal you guys can take it and put it in this clinical format and then make it illegal for us to like gather gift grow so that right there is something where i'm like whoa 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 so now it's going to cost two to three thousand dollars to go sit with somebody in a session and a retreat center or wherever wherever they want it to to be like that's gonna be the only legal legal way to access psychedelics here within the state of Oregon whether it be microdosing or it be macrodosing you have to go to somebody who's paid fifteen thousand dollars to get their license and they're gonna pay another two thousand dollars to keep it up and then that person who obviously created that training program at training school they had to have money or their doctors or somebody already who has that advantage. Or maybe they're like, I'm not going to say any of the names, one of the many training programs who just flew over here overnight. Like, and now in order for me to tell my community here, oh yeah, you're hearing about psychedelics. Oh, you're hearing about it. Oh, I want to teach you about it. The only place I can send them to, unless it was me providing on my own, is somebody who has functioned within this legalized system that's jacked up. Like, it's a weird thing for me. I'm like, I'm, you can tell I'm like, I'm like confused. I'm like, how did this happen? And I think a lot of us, are, of us are confused. And with me working with much like serving community, as far as like wild mushrooms and making sure that food is medicine, medicine is food. I get to interact with people at the farmer's markets. And within, within this last two years, 
works. Every day people are coming to me at the farmer's markets like, so where are mushrooms? They're legal. And I'm just really want some or, oh my gosh, I've heard, I just read all this stuff with uh, like a pollen and then have you with micro dosing and people are just like, <laughs> I am like to be, have been in my markets. Like I've been like the only mushroom person, like where you can like physically up front go to somebody like is at a farmer's market to talk to about mushrooms or if you want to join like a psychedelic society which people people all don't, don't want to do so they attack me at the market which is fine because it's good for research market research and during this market research that i didn't think i was going to be doing in the surveying i learned that uh 90 of the people thought that mushrooms think that mushrooms are already legal and then that when they are legalized here in january that they're going to be a uh at a system where it's like a dispensary, like going in to get cannabis. And they're going to find out within this next month that that is not happening at all. And they're going to be like, what in the world did I vote for? They're going to be so shocked. And then it's going to, I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's forcing people to have to go underground, which is forcing people to have to technically do something illegal because of the inaccessibility, which I'm like, okay, like, and Shroom House opened up in Portland, which was, I don't know if you want to tell people like what, what, what is your opinion about Shroom House that opened up last or three weeks ago or a month ago? That was going to be my next question to you. I was just kind of curiously watching, you know, I'm from California. I've got an uncle and aunt in Oregon and I've spent time in Bend and I've spent time in different parts of Oregon. Mm -hmm. But this idea of an underground sort of gray market to black market operation just opening up shop and then having lines around the block. I was shocked that they didn't get raided sooner. Thanks. You know, there were national headlines. Everyone was talking about it. And yet they still were selling for several weeks after it first came on the public radar. And I understand that there were lines multiple hours long, day in and day out, and that you actually probably, you actually saw these lines and, and, and got to see firsthand the hoopla surrounding Shroom House. So, I wanted to ask you, what's your take on that whole situation? Okay, if I have to preempt this with my feelings about it, I believe that people should have access. A, I also am conflicted about the idea of selling mushrooms to everyone. And it's something that I think people should decide for themselves if it's right for themselves. But I also think that all of the, the promotional aspects of you know people blanketly promoting the positive attributes of mushrooms and and sharing all these success stories, those get taken out of context where people won't read the full disclosure of potential risks and potential challenges and like the set and setting and things like that. It's so easy to skip over that and just to say, mushrooms are gonna help me, I'm gonna go get in line, I'm gonna buy a bunch of mushrooms and I'm gonna eat them and that's gonna fix that. And I think that's where it becomes questionable. So I'm not saying it's right or wrong that someone sets up an operation like that. I just think that there needs to be consideration and more education around this idea that mushrooms can present challenging experiences to a lot of people, especially if you have a lot of underlying trauma. And in that regard, to me, it's dangerous just to go out and like buy them and eat them. I would hope that there's a community to support that. You know, you look at indigenous communities, there was pretty strict, there are pretty strict protocols for how a ceremony or an entheogen takes place, right? It's not just like, oh, let's just give it to this person and then see what happens. Like there's usually a diet, there's usually preparation, there's usually a ceremony in a container. And my concern with 
are hyper-consumerist, right, super-capitalistic, super-me, individual culture West, is that most people are not going to do due diligence there, and they're just going to treat it like you're eating candy or you're eating weed. That's my old crotchety perspective. Please let me know what you think about the whole shroom house situation. Yeah, I agree with you. That's how they're treating it. They're definitely treating it like that, because that's all they know how to, you know, and that's the only way we know how to treat anything is like, it's going to fix everything and I'm going to try it and it's going to be overnight. Shroom House. I was, I knew about Shroom House coming up through the grapevine, through some like internal like emails and letters since last June or May. Like I've known about this for a long time and some of us have, and these people who alerted me about this sent me to their face or their Instagram account. And I was like, oh, wow, they're doing advertising before they're opening up. It didn't just come up out of nowhere. So they've known it was coming up and so have officials and everybody. And I'm sure the cops were, you know, notified and all that kind of stuff ahead of time. Because if I know, I know other people know because I ain't nosy. Um, I just wait for things to happen and I just watch it and I watch it. So they came to me, it definitely came to the DEA before. So the, the good thing about, I always say the pros and the cons, the pros. The pros is that, yes, access. Like, Shroom House showed that financially, yes, we should be able to start a business um, without a ton of money invested and without, like, um, doing, ugh, I don't like to say, it created access by showing that mushrooms don't have to be $3,000. So that's in that it's not something where you grow it and all of a sudden it's like, you know, oh my gosh, this one mushroom is worth so much. Like, they're showing the community that it's easy to grow your own. I think. I think at that. I think that's the the pros. And the pros is that yeah, it created conversations. Um, the pros is that uh, are taking the heat. Uh, I'm gonna say it. They're the first ones in, and they're they're showing us like what unfortunately what the consequences can be if you go in just like brazen, like just making a ton of money by selling mushrooms without just overnight, just over the counter, like just like now we know what the consequences can be and they're going to be a million and a half dollar bail. And that's serious. And honestly, at first I thought the people were like, like some rich ass, like white guys who had like lawyers like backed up and like, we're like going to, they're here doing it because they need to serve the people and stuff. But it was not that situation. Like, <laughs> it was not that situation at all. And I was, like, shocked. And I was, like, also kind of disappointed. I was, like, oh, why did they do this, people? Um, I'm, like, why? Because I look at the profiles. Yeah, I look at all that. Um, the bad, the cons are, yeah, like you said, no harm reduction. None. None whatsoever. You're just sending people out to, like, get quick, you know, get healed quick. I don't know what their, their spiel was when they went in there. They took people's personal IDs. Guess for two forms of IDs. Like, where are all those IDs? Where's all the information? Where is that right now? I don't know. It, nobody knows where all the information is. Like, the money, nobody knows where all that money is. They don't have to report. They didn't report thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars for a long period of time. Um, the state, it wasn't the state's job, the Oregon Health Authority, it wasn't their job to shut it down because they're not a license holder. So it was up to the police and the DEA to get involved to shut that down. And people kept saying, oh, it's, what about the state of Oregon's license holders? And I'm like, that program doesn't even start till January 2nd. Um, so the cons is, yeah, that it, it can be dangerous 
if you just release a bunch of of psilocybin, I feel like out into the open, um, without any kind of harm reduction, without any kind of not even a I don't know if there was a ten minute integration talk. I don't even know. Was there something? I like I think there can be a way where we um can mix recreational usage. I'm I'm just gonna because it would be called recreational usage if it was over the counter or it was over like a dispensary. I think there is a way where we can mix the two together. Um, and I'm not like, and that's because I'm all about like peer to peer education, gather gift and growing. Like I believe that increasing people's access to education for growing and harm reduction and coming from like learning how to come from the trauma informed spaces, like as like a community members, like I would rather have somebody who I put in like a two day or even one hour training who I trust because they've been my hairdresser or they've done my nails or they like been at the coffee shop, like when I'm crying and, you know, a hot mess, like I rather somebody like that hold space for me um, as far as facilitation than some Coachella um, young girl from Cali or I'm just being stereotypic, but you know what I'm talking about. Somebody who has some trust fund who wants to be a psychedelic a facilitator along with all the other certificates that they're giving, that they're getting and they're doing it for like clout just to say that they're a facilitator. And I rather have like the granny down the street, like hold space for me than that person, honestly. And so I do think that there is um, a way to serve the community as far as psychedelics um, in a way that's equitable and not making it so locked locked down um but right now we're locked down like it's i would love to have a retreat center people know that and i'm not i'm not saying i'm not going to um (laughs) i'm not saying i'm not that may not happen in the near future um it's just that right now i don't have i'm not going to say i don't have the funding because i'm not here to just start a nonprofit to say i'm helping people i'm doing like the work that i've been doing and not only i want it to come full circle and be something that supports the community as far as mental health but as far as like what i like to do because we have to have fun while we're doing this work and we're having have to have fun while we're also like on an eternal internal like an eternal like healing like process for the rest of our lives like it can't be all about seriousness and all about like hard heavy stuff it's all about for me psychedelics and is like about finding that space where you're like having a great time and fun and being able to create and flow and like find joy in that. Not about focusing just on that moment. It's about everything around and hiking and all the things that we love that supports um, that, that if it was, uh, if it was in a clinic, they'd say the, the patient's treatment, you know, <laughs> but no, I'm all about like getting the maximum benefits and not like just focusing on, um, just just the ingestion yeah i love recreational mushroom use 100 percent, and in smaller doses like i i uh, many times have explored macrodose realms but like i really like a half eighth of mushrooms a bonfire maybe you know visiting a waterfall or going swimming or something like that and like and i know myself and i feel very fortunate that my first experiences on psychedelics were with people who could tell me like just take this much you know you don't need to go for the moon your first time and 
I think that's really important, right? And then I got to see a lot of irresponsible psychedelic use over a number of years, myself included. And those experiences taught me about the long tail of effects that these things can have in your life if you don't treat them respectfully. And you hear this story from a lot of people who become psychonauts, right, in an early age, as they're like, I wasn't being respectful of this medicine. And then, you know, you're, you're in your party phase and you're woo woo. And then the bubble bursts all of a sudden. And then you're like, oh, shit, I have to put everything back together. And like, that's what I don't want to happen for people with psychedelics. So it is a slippery slope because I strongly believe in cognitive liber liberty, right? I strongly believe in cognitive liberty. People should have the choice to do what they want with their consciousness, I believe, as long as it's not negatively impacting other people. But from the other side, we just have so many layers of trauma, complexity, different genetic histories that are out there in the world that for people who may not have any kind of a you know container or community it's going to be tricky for them to know how much they should take like you know what they should avoid doing and i think that's where you know I, i've had a lot of conversations about this where education needs to keep up to speed with policy change and industry because right now we have a million people with platforms who are jumping and shouting about the positive attributes but nobody's talking about the potential risks and the potential bad trips. A lot of that comes down from where I'm standing to the per performative nature of social media. Think about like on, on marketing and social media, how many people share the bad side of their life? Like people don't promote that stuff. They don't promote that they just went through a messy divorce and that they're depressed. Like nobody wants to promote that. It, I see it kind of the same thing with psychedelics, right? It's sort of how I'm seeing it. Like you only want to share the glossy, wonderful, good part. And, you know, obviously both of us are believers and advocates, but I just think that we need to have a more well-rounded conversation when we're bringing you know, millions of people potentially into the fold now who are discovering and, and thinking, can this help me with my, you know, issues? Can this help me overcome this? That's where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I'm like, it's not, it's not a, it's not a cure all. It's not for everybody. It, it, and the ways that um, we need that we need to educate people about it might be different in different parts of the country, different areas. Like, like for example, here, I would say like for people who are, if they're going to carry on their own here in the state of Oregon, we know that if you are a person of color, there is a much higher risk at like physically carrying drugs and going to jail. I don't care if there's decrim. I don't care, but if there's all this other stuff, like that's like in the city of Portland, but the whole rest of the Pacific Northwest, you got some shady, shady ass, racist ass people and some racist ass police force and people within policy and government. And you can't expect for them to protect you because they will not. I'm like, you know, they will not. And so like part of like educating people about like that, like and doing like harm reduction, I always say is like not just about, oh, here you need to be in a great place and you need to be here and there. It's like, OK, if you're going to grow on your own and you have some shady ass roommates who are bringing trouble in and out of your house and you are growing your quote unquote medicine in your closet, like there's a risk that your ass can go to jail because of the kind of traffic that your roommate is bringing in and out of your house. And that's part of like harm reduction, like harm because you're it's all about prevention and, and being aware that we all can't, not all of us can experiment and use um, psychedelics in the same way without the same type of risk and consequences. And we know it, it's just a ladder that goes down and back and back and back. And I've always been very um, quiet about like any type of drug uses because 
here in Oregon, like I said, arrests are high. We've had the hyphy movement, like West Coast hyphy music, measure 11 here, like two, three strikes, you're out, three, two, three strikes, you're out. That was happening when I was like in high school and becoming, coming into like my early adulthood where we'd go to concerts and like we'd easily see like three or four of our friends on the news the next morning, like going away to jail for nine years. And we saw so much of our community um, here in West Coast, especially the, like I said, the hyphy movement. And, the, and that is a psychedelic community it's getting stupid, dumb, hyphy, talking about this and being out there. And we, for me to see that, like be connected to like a drug, a, like the hyphy movement is for me in my mind was like a, a drug, a XC type of partying fun movement. But to see that a lot of negativity came out of that um, has me feeling some kind of way about how we educate our communities and how we treat psychedelics. Um, and because I've seen, I've, we've seen the bad side and there's been other movements like this too, like time and time again, then it's like going back to the sixties and like being able to liberate and like, we could just take it. There's been so many type of movements where we wanted to free ourselves and have expand, expanded consciousness, but there's somebody always trying to put their foot in front and make it a little bit more difficult. And, um, I would like to make it less difficult and I would just like to make it to where not saying mainstream, but to where if somebody does have questions that they're one or two people away from finding somebody who that they trust has the answer. That would be nice in the future. And if, like I said, it could be your hairdresser. Hopefully it is. Hopefully it's your massage therapist. Hopefully it's like your bartender or, you know, hopefully it's a social worker down the road. Like that's, that's what I would love. And that's what I would love for fruiting bodies to kind of be that vessel into a, like, um, I'm not saying mainstreaming cause I don't like, you know, greenwashing, like any of like, any type of like the healing movement and healing says I because psychedelics has been hella gentrified already and it's just Oregon loves to take and gentrify everything we just love to do that here so I'm always very careful about like how we interact with it but um I would love for the future I was saying you know wouldn't it be nice to create some kind of program to where maybe it's a two or three hour four hour two to four hour training that could be like a donation based and f or free and like just with a, a basic one-on-one introduction on a community format to introduce businesses to introduce just regular ass community members people were coming up to me and wanting to talk all day long while i'm trying to sell mushrooms just learning things like i want to i trust and i want to learn about psychedelics and i support it i just don't know anything that's what i hear constantly and i'm like oh gosh i wish i could just sit here and just talk about it with everybody I have talked, had these lots of these mini meetings and groups and um, working with like uh, herbal schools where we get to talk about these things. But as a community, that just doesn't really exist without paying for money or like YouTubing something from somebody random. So it'd be nice if we had something where I was thinking of like creating something where we do have the access, the create access for people to learn what it's like to come from a trauma informed space and teach each other how to be mental health advocates for each other before the corporate and the other people tell us how we are supposed to be advocates for each other. So I think it's us like holding the space for each other and taking that um, foot in the door. And I would love it to, in the future to be like, oh my gosh, like I see like a Yelp sticker on the door. You see like a fruiting body sticker and you go into that business and you know that that owner or the people in that business have taken that mental health advocacy training. And that is like, or in 
it's supported by entheogens, obviously, because this is what kind of this is where we are, and we want people to know that there's access and that that business or that person is that one or two people re- removed away from that information. And if that person at the business doesn't know, or that individual individual doesn't know, they can say, I don't know, but I know somebody who does, or go to Fruiting Vice or know somebody who does, because I think that that web, that mycelial web working in that way um, is a lot more effective than $3,000 treatments. You know, I could do a lot with $3,000 and, uh, <laughs> I don't doubt it. I've seen what you can do with very little as far as pulling mushrooms out of the ground and building a whole community around it, right? And like, it is so funny how we can remove these really simple experiences where people go and have a mushroom experience in the woods and life is beautiful. And then all of a sudden, we as humans can create these complicated, politicized, corporatized structures out of that full of like, you know, tension and controversy. And that's sort of what what I've seen happening is like, how do we get so far removed from this really unifying, beautiful, universal experience, if you will, and turn it into this very structured, very essentially rigid experience that is essentially getting rolled out right now. And it's been fascinating to follow it. And that's kind of where the satire comes from for me. It's like, I don't pass myself off as an expert in any sense. Like, Yes, I have expertise in media production and I have a lot of experience with psychedelics, but like I've had to tell so many people that I don't want to be their space holder. Like that's not what I do. I'm I'm not qualified. I don't feel comfortable doing that. And like to to put that in perspective, like I have a longtime family friend who's never taken psychedelics and they asked me if I could give them psychedelics and if their mushroom trip, maybe they could only have like a 20 or 30 minute trip. And I'm just like, you know, it doesn't really work like that. And I don't, I'm not going to be the person to give you these things. And, you know, I think that people will find out if they're, if they're ready, that they should do their due diligence and not just blindly trust somebody who has it. Right. And that's something, again, I've seen a lot is growing up in communities where we could get psychedelics sometimes something would become available and you don't even really know this person. You're just like, oh, I'm going to get it because they have it and this person has it. I better get it. It's like, I think that you should build an intentional relationship if you want to go into psychedelics, be it recreationally or for healing. You should know that you're getting into something that you can't just like wash away 30 seconds after, right? It's not just like, oh, I'm going to take this and then good, I'm going to go back to my super normal life and nothing's going to change. I don't think that's the case at all. I think you should be prepared at least to, you know, have big changes come. So the last question I have for you today, you've touched on this a little bit, talking about fruiting bodies and some of what you want to do and hopefully a new podcast in the near future. But what role do you see yourself playing in the legal psilocybin mushroom movement in Oregon in 2023 and beyond? What's your ideal role? Is there, is, do you even want to be part of that in the first place, being part of this above ground, legal, regulated environment? And if so, what is the specific role that you see yourself playing? Yeah, that's, that's, I'm, I'm still almost stuck. I ask myself that question every single day what is what is my job here um what do i see see for myself in the future and is working in a legalized market that i don't support in many ways and that has done a lot of harm to me over the last two years um i've had a lot of harm done to me and i'm not just i don't i'm not honestly oh i've been harmed and blah, blah 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 there's been some shit and there's people out there who owe me up owe me some apologies there's people out there who owe me more than apology more than apologies they owe me some cash um they owe me some some stuff 
And I, I think that that is, I feel this way because of um, the above ground competition, the urgency, the competitiveness that comes out on people. Um, it, 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 it's gross. It's gross. And, and everybody has, is in their silos because they're, they are all clicked out and they don't want anybody else to see what they're doing. And cause they have the funding over here in their corner and there's been a lot of nasty stuff. And so because of that, I've gone back to being like, and talking to many people that we probably both know and have heard from a trust that like Elon, do you need to be above ground? Like you, what you're doing right now is everything that that's what you're what you're doing right now as far as like interacting with community um food is medicine medicine is food like showing people that there is healing with nature those are things that make me happy on a daily basis and that i'm going to do whether or not psychedelics are legalized or not and that i've been wanting and achieving for for a long time almost my whole life and so um to not come above ground um it's not going to affect me tomorrow. It's not going to affect me at all. Is it going to affect how um, people interact like um, within like the above ground psychedelic community? Yeah. Because I think somebody like me who has my kind of expertise, um, who has, who has um, a lot of experience working with communities of color, marginalized communities. It's sad when you see people who are involved um, with these marginalized communities, more than just me, us dropping off of wanting to do the legalized um, movement. And that's because we're, we can't sometimes we can't. And so I've been thinking like how, if I do some type of, if I pull a license to grow or if I pull a license for a service center, I will constantly make a disclaimer and say, Hey, this is, not exactly where I want to be. Um, I would love to do this in another format and I will continuously fight for the decrim movement, not, not the branded decrim movement. I have a zero affiliation. Let that be known to any politicized decrim movement. Um, but do I believe, um, do I need it? If, if I do have a business that functions above the ground, as far as providing access to psychedelics, um, it's not because I'm a sellout. It's because I believe in access and I would only start something. Um, and I believe that people have ac need to have access in many different ways. And sometimes the clinical format gets, it, it, it's what some people need and some people want. And, but the next day they may want to go to a music festival and just have fun that way. And so I believe in different ways. And I know that for me this next year, like I would love to be able to have like beautiful outdoor nature, like, glamping um healing retreats um that have art that have you know all the nature-based things that i've been doing and like my retreats that i've already been hosting but with the added addition to being able to have uh psilocybin sessions as an option um as far as all over healing i think and for me it needs to be it'd be nice for it to be not this thing that's centered but this thing that's like kind of a driving force behind like, you know, you get what I'm saying. It's like, I don't want it to because psychedelic community, ugh, they're kind of brutal. Right. And there's a lot of fighting and arguments and stuff. And I don't, I separate Tempter's Truffles um, from, from Fruiting Bodies community because Fruiting Tempter's Truffles is me 
and it's what I love and what it's is going to be around and will always be around. And I don't want that to ever be tainted. But do I want to keep it separate? No, I think the both uh, that everything you can't separate. It's there's no separation. So it's me learning how to um, do some of these things, um, t- helping every, everybody else and other people become mental health advocates, not only for themselves but other people. And I think that's like part of my like driving force. And um, also learning how to hold boundaries when we're doing this work. Like just because you have some expertise in certain subjects doesn't mean you have to constantly work and constantly give five, six, seven days a week. Like if you can only do two days a week, that's all you can get. And that's part of like this work is not like falling into that other part because that other urgency and, and eating, trying to chase the rabbit and everything. That's what caused me and my former business partner to have a dissolution was like that urgency, that capitalism, that like just a lot of these, the nasty parts of psychedelics and the gossip and egos, like that's what caused me to be like, whoa, I really am somebody for the community. And I need to remind myself that I need because of my background and what I come from and what I've gone through and my lived experiences, like I need to always like sink back on that. And I listened to like a lot of my early podcasts. I listened to a couple and I was like, well, Elon, you're still the same person. Thank God, because so much feels like it's different, but I'm still the same person. And sometimes people try to sidetrack you from that shit. They really do. They try to get you off your, your, the rails, but like, I haven't really left the rails. I'm just more a behind the scenes type of person who's not that loud. And I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm totally okay with that. I actually appreciate it. Somebody, I went to my, um, knitting retreat in Townsend called the Fungi and Fiber Symposium. 170 women from all over the world who are mushroom dyers, mycologists, cooks, some of the best artists ever. And I'm talking and down the table, like 30 people, there's so many people there. And it's like crazy for seven days. And this lady just stopped. She's like, uh, uh, what's your name? And I was like, Elon. And she's like, can you come here for a second? I was like, yeah, yeah. And she's like, I recognize your voice. And I was like, what? She's like, I recognize your voice. And I looked down the tail and she goes, we have fruiting bodies collective. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, she's like, oh my gosh. She's like, just going off about it. And I'm like, here, like the average age is like 65. It looks like my friend said, it looked like a field that always saw was a, like a, a field of dandelions because all you see was like a bunch of white haired, short white haired old ladies from all over the world. And like, here we are talking about psychedelics in the middle of all of this, like grandma-ness. And then another lady heard me and she starts talking about how before she came here and she got out of her car and she went and had a moment crying down by the river by her, her dad's old house and her grandfather's old house. And and just started like sharing things like that. And I'm just like, this is the, this is psychedelics. This is the work. It doesn't have to be a thing. I didn't even talk about it. And the mycelium is like in here, like penetrating me, everybody else and like connecting us. And nobody even knows, not, most of the people here don't even know about the psychedelic movement. They know about hiking in the woods and about knitting and about cooking and they're they don't know about pollen and this and that and all these names they just know about how community is and how we should feel and how we can support each other and that's 
how I think it should be, no matter where. It's that, weird. I've got tears coming to my eyes right now. It's just so nice to hear a voice of reason amidst all of this chaos that's unfolding in the world at large. And I couldn't agree more in the sense that I live in Mexico most of the year, and I'm very connected to a community of local mycophiles here. And they just think it's hilarious what's going on in the States with all of this one-upmanship and this, like, the Michael Pollan factor. They're like, yeah, our communities, our grandmothers have been using this since who knows how long. And there's no stigma around it generally. And this idea of it becoming corporatized and politicized is so lost on these people. It's just like they, they don't have time for it. And it's really refreshing to be around the salt of the earth, you know, for my money. Like I've been in these circles where there's the guys coming over from the finance industry and from the cannabis entrepreneurs. And they're all, they have goals mapped out through Q4 of 2025 or whatever. Oh, yeah. And I'm at those <laughs> tables. And then I'll jump on a flight and be here hanging out in the woods with my friends. And they're just like totally uninterested in taking part of that. And I always feel just like so touched and so connected to these communities of people who are just out here doing the work, just doing it, building community, and they don't need their LinkedIn presence and they don't need to be, you know, ranked in the top five most influential no. people. And I think that's really important to bear in mind moving forward for everyone. It's like, just because you're not keeping up with the Joneses or whatnot, doesn't mean you're not doing critically important work in your community. And I think that's probably more important than ever now is to have these people in our community who we can trust and stewards that we can turn to who you trust. And it doesn't matter what their credentials are. What matters is that you trust them and they have your best interest in mind. And we should never lose sight of that. I got to wrap this up, but I'm going to make you a deal because I brought you on my podcast. I need a slot on your podcast whenever you launch it. Okay. So I'll be following along and we can, we can do more time and continue this conversation there. Elon Higgins of Fruiting Bodies Collective and Temptress Truffles. Thank you very much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Dennis. And that is a wrap. Thank you for sticking around to the bitter end. It's very sweet of you to commit so thoroughly. Don't be a stranger. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And please consider checking out the substantial backlog while you're at it. You can reach out to me via email, mycopreneur at gmail.com. Or hit me on any of the numerous social platforms that I'm currently active on. At Micopreneur Podcast is the handle on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you all very much for sticking around. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you back here next week on the Micopreneur Podcast.